Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, good morning. That was, that was okay. That was okay. That's acceptable. That was acceptable. So, Well, good to see each of you and delighted to have you here. And I'm believing that God, through the work of His Spirit, would speak to each and every one of us here today. And I'm confident that you can walk out of this place knowing that the Lord has spoken and that He is here. Well, you ready? A couple of you? All right. Because I, I can get it out as quick as we, we, you want it to get out if you're ready to receive. If not, it takes a little longer, you know. You ever been to the gas station and you have to fill up your tank and it's one of those very slow pumps? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you see like four cars at the pump next to you have filled up and gone on. You're just still there. Well, if you're ready to receive, we can get the flow quickly today, and uh, we, you won't have to be there long. But I just want to say uh, last week uh, how blessed we were with Pastor Craig uh, starting the series off with the priority of seeing Jesus Christ, and I'm thankful for Christ uh, and His grace in Him and through Him. Um, and how he kicked off the series, and also with the overview that he did, that I think most of you are aware that we made available online to listen to, and uh, was thoroughly blessed um, by Christ through him with that. Today we're going to continue, obviously, this series titled Revealed, and if you didn't get a sermon card, you can uh, wave your hand, someone to get it to you. There was someone who got a sermon card, but you no longer have it because I took it. And uh, forgive me for that, but if you're right over here, uh, it would be you. But uh, I forgot mine, and so I just grabbed one right there, and I'm confessing up front today because we will talk about repentance later uh, in the message. But today I want to preach a message to you titled, In the Midst of It, In the Midst of It, and I'd like to pray. Father, I thank you for access to your throne of grace I thank you that that access is only through Jesus Christ. And we declare that he is Lord. We acknowledge his lordship. We acknowledge his ability to reach into this church and to our lives, to the hearts and minds of people and homes and even this community and the nations of the world. We thank you for your greatness. We thank you for your authority. We thank you for your love. Holy Spirit, I acknowledge my need of you. I thank you that you, Lord God, are my sufficiency. And I pray the treasure would flow and shine through this earthen vessel. That you would be glorified, that you would be manifested, that you would be demonstrated and encountered, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I thank you for each life here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, Pastor Craig primarily looked at, with us, chapters 1 through 3. And um, then you come into chapter 4, and chapter 4 begins in verse 1 saying, 
After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice with which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Then chapter 4 ends in verse 11, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. By your will they exist and were created. Then after chapter 4, you come into chapters 5 through 9 that we will deal with pretty thoroughly today, and you begin to read about the seven seals. You begin to read about the trumpets of God. Now, before we begin to get into this and look at this, some of you who are familiar with the book of Revelation, you might be thinking, are we right now in the midst of Revelation chapters 5 through 9? My answer to you, if you're thinking that today, is maybe or maybe not. You say, well, that's not good enough. Well, sometimes things just aren't good enough the way we want it. But that is my answer. What does that mean for you? Well, here's what it means. What I do know is that every one of you are in the midst of something. I might not be able to 100% on the authority of the witness of God's Spirit tell you that we currently are in the seals and the trumpets of Revelation chapters 5 through 9. But what I can tell you on the authority of the witness of God's Word and the witness of the Holy Spirit is that you are in the midst of something in your life. So what is our hope today? Our hope is is that if the Apostle John, in the midst of hearing and seeing the things he heard and saw in chapters 5 through 9, he sees people in the midst of it surviving. He sees people in the midst of it making it through. Then surely there is hope and provision in Christ for you to survive in the midst of whatever your it is this morning. To survive in the midst of whatever your season is this morning. Then surely if John can see people surviving and making it through what we read in Revelation, then surely there is hope and provisions in Christ for you to make it through in the midst of whatever it is currently in your life. That is the hope we have. Let me give you a brief framework that I want to provide regarding chapters 5 through 9 in order to set the message of how I want and feel led to minister it today. In chapter 5, you have this framework. Who is worthy? It's a great question. It's a wise question for us to learn to ask. Who is worthy? Then in chapter 6 through 9, we can frame it with this. He opened, I heard. He opened, I saw. Let's look now, Revelation 5 and verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one, everybody say no one. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Verse 4. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. 
Behold the line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Notice this question of chapter 5. Who is worthy in the midst of it? Who's worthy in the midst of what you're facing today? Who's worthy in the midst of the season you're in today? Who's worthy in the midst of the struggles that you might be dealing with today? Who is worthy in the midst of it? In chapters 1 through 3 here in Revelation, Jesus is he who walks in the midst of the seven churches of Asia. In chapters 4 through 9, it is Jesus who stands in the midst of these heavenly things. I'm reminded this morning of what Peter said. That judgment is to begin at the house of God. It's amazing before the Apostle John writes regarding what he sees about what takes place in the heavenlies and how it affects the earth. Before he writes about the seven seals and the seven trumpets, he first writes about Jesus in the midst of his church. Why? Because judgment must begin in the house of God before the judgments begin to prevail in the earth around us. So it's Jesus who walks in the midst of the seven churches. It's Jesus who is walking in the midst of this movement. It's Jesus who walks in the midst of dwelling place church. But it's also Jesus today who stands in the midst of the heavenly things. He stands in the midst of it and what takes place. What does this mean? Notice it's heavenly things. John says, after I saw Jesus walking in the midst of of the churches after these things, I saw a door in heaven. This door gave him access to see the things that were taking place in heaven. He's up in the heavenlies. And the question then as he's in the heavenlies is, who is worthy in the midst of these things? And I ask us that is here today this. Who is worthy when you are in the midst of things that are above your understanding? John is in the heavenlies. He's seeing things that's above his common understanding. They're having to be interpreted to him. They're having to be explained to him. He he falls in the beginning. Overwhelmed with what he's encountering and seeing. And I'm confident that you have been there at times before. That you've been in the midst of something, you've been in the midst of a circumstance, you've been in the midst of a trial or event or a season where it's above your own understanding. It is beyond your comprehension. Only heavenly insight and heavenly understanding and heavenly wisdom can really know and truly comprehend all the variables of what's taking place in your life. Now what I'm not talking about is not understanding the book of Revelation. As Pastor Craig mentioned, the Apostle John in the beginning says, blessed is he who reads and understands these things. So we're not talking about that we just read through Revelation and it's above our understanding because it's talking about heavenly things. But what I am talking about is there's going to come something in your life or maybe there already is something in your life that's going to be above your understanding. It's going to be above you being able to lean upon your own understanding. It's going to be above your logic and above your reason. 
And when you're in the midst of that, which is above your understanding, above your logic, above your own comprehension, the question that comes to us from Revelation 4 and 5 is who is worthy? Who's worthy when we find ourselves in the midst of something that doesn't make sense? Who's worthy when we find ourselves in the midst of no longer being able to figure things out? In the midst of it, who is worthy? In the midst of our weeping, there still is in the midst of heaven a lamb as slain that has prevailed. See, even in the midst of our sorrows, even in the midst of our grief, even in the midst as tears stream down our face and we're facing things that we don't understand and we're asking the question that psalmists and believers have asked throughout the centuries, Wow, God! Even in the midst of our weeping, there is in the midst of heaven a lamb as slain who has prevailed. A victorious lamb. When you're in the midst of your failures, when your weaknesses is all that you're aware of, when the incompetence of your frailty and humanity is standing before your face, When you're in the midst of your failures, there still is a lamb as slain in the midst of heaven who has prevailed. And this is the question even in your weeping, even in your trials, even in your failures. Who is worthy? Him who has prevailed. You know, oftentimes God brings and allows things that surpasses our understanding. He allows tests that exposes our frailty and our weaknesses and where we've not placed faith in the sufficiency and the substance of Jesus Christ to teach us again that it is not us who is worthy. It is not us who is holy. It is not us who is the hope of the nations. But it is Jesus Christ alone, the Lamb as slain, who has prevailed and is worthy to be praised. To Him who's worthy. An important thing to notice is that it was an elder who was greatly aware of Jesus in this moment. John is weeping. John is hearing the question, who's worthy? John is seeing things and encountering things that's currently above his understanding. And he's weeping, saying, I don't understand who is worthy to open the scroll. And an elder touches John and says, do not weep. Why? Because the elder is aware that even in the, in the midst of weeping, even in the midst of what John's circumstance, that there still is in the midst of heaven a lamb that has prevailed. That there is still a foundation of victory. There is still an everlasting foundation that is sure and steadfast. There is a fact of God has accomplished in Jesus Christ that which is unchanging. But John's not aware of it, but the elder is still aware of it. The elder is aware that there is still a lamb that was slain and yet prevailed. And he encourages John not to weep. He encourages John to behold he who's in the midst of the throne, Jesus. Now let me speak prophetically for a minute because this is a place that God has called the multiplication of believers, leaders, and churches. You can substitute leaders for elders, mature believers, those that are called to be in the midst of God's church, in the midst of His people. And many that are called to be an elder, you must understand 
That you'll never walk in the midst of your calling to be an elder in the midst of God's people until you have been through some things, you've been through some circumstances, you've been through some seasons where even in the midst of you not understanding it, even in the midst of you not comprehending it, you still learn to see him who is still in the midst of the throne of heaven, the Lamb Jesus Christ who has prevailed. This is what mature believers have learned. Mature believers have not learned that they are worthy. Mature believers have not learned that they have the ability of themselves to prevail. Mature believers have not learned this, this pride and arrogance that they're better than others. Mature believers have learned in the midst of their sorrows, in the midst of their weeping, in the midst of their circumstances, in the midst of their trials, that there is still one in the midst of heaven who is worthy. They've learned to do what the elder does to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus Christ who has prevailed. That even when they don't feel like life is prevailing for them, even when they feel like they've got the wrong hand of the deck, there's still in them is a sense that Jesus has prevailed. They are able to see him. They are able to praise him. They are able to behold the lamb who's in the midst of the throne. Verse 8, it says, Now when... He, Jesus, had taken the scroll. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us a kingdom and priests to our God. We shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, verse 11, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. And thousands of thousands sang with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea. And all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne. And to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said amen. The 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Notice the elders falling down and worshipping him. Many, as God begins to draw people to their high calling and to a place of being a vessel that is heavenly treasure of Christ can live through to eldership and pastoral ministry. Listen, elders who think they're worthy because they are worthy are dangerous and used to deceive people. But elders who think they are worthy because only he is worthy are safe and used to deliver others in the midst of their weeping. This is the goal. This is the goal for every believer to mature. That in the midst of weeping around you, in the midst of sorrow around you, in the midst of your family and in the midst of your workplace, that you understand that it's not us who's worthy, but it's Jesus who's worthy. That we don't build people to get to depend on us. We build people to learn to depend on Him. To depend on Him. I don't know what you're in the midst of, but what I do know is that you are to root the root of David in the midst of what you're going through. 
And your understanding of Jesus might just be like a small root right now. But if you'll root the root of Jesus, the root of David, Jesus Christ, in the midst of what you're going through, he will begin to increase his will. He'll begin to increase his influence. He'll begin to increase his promises and his provisions in the midst of where you root the root of David. you got to root him in there. I don't know what you've been hearing in the midst of what you're going through. I don't know the voices around you. I don't know the voices of the enemy that attacks your ears and your head. But we're to hear the roar of the line of the tribe of Judah in the midst of what we're going through. There is a roar that says, truth, victory belongs to me. There is a roar that says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. How do we press forward in the midst of what we're facing? Well, notice in verse 6 of chapter 5 that John sees this lamb as slain. It's not a lamb who had just been slain. It's, he sees a lamb as slain. He sees the work of the cross, not in just a past tense, though it is past tense, but he sees that it has an ever-present reality and application to what he's facing. What does this mean? This is why Jesus instituted communion. He said, as often as you do this, remember my death. As often as you take of the bread that represents my body and the juice that represents my blood, one of the ways we prevail in the midst of what we're doing is we keep our communion with the Lamb. Our communion. That it's because of His work, it's because of His blood, it's because of His broken body that victory and provisions, nourishment and needs are met. He is worthy, even in the midst of it. But it's not just communion in the sense of communion through the elements. It's also communion with the Lord through His body. It's even in the midst of your suffering, even in the midst of your difficulties, even in the midst of the heck of the busyness and the, and the pace of the world around you, that you keep communion with the Lord and His body. It's a fellowship with his body. There's a fellowship with his elders. There will be circumstances. There will be seasons. And we see this, can learn this from Revelation. Where for us to survive, for us to thrive, for us to press forward through what we're encountering, you have to keep communion with the Lord in his people around you and with elders that he's placed in your life. This is what you see. This is what we can apply. What else do we see here? Not only to press forward do we need communion, but you find that the elders in the midst of the throne, they sang. You want to know how to press forward in the midst of what you don't understand? You want to know how to press forward in the midst of what you're facing? Why don't you sing like the elders are singing? Don't let the midst of what you're doing silence the declaration that he is worthy, that he has prevailed. Sing unto the Lord. Don't let circumstances steal your praise. 
Don't let circumstances try to tell you that he's no longer worthy. Notice he's worthy because he was slain but has prevailed. He's not worthy because you never face difficulties. He's not worthy because there's not things that ever come into your life that make you shudder and say, I don't understand. He's worthy because he has been slain but has prevailed. Sing. But notice they didn't just sing, they sang a new song. See, when we face new things we've never faced before, when we find ourselves in the midst of circumstances we've never faced before, when we find ourselves in new seasons, then sometimes what is needed is a new song. We need a song that's real. We need a song that comes from our heart, that comes from the depths of our emotions and our feelings and what we're going through. We need a song that is new and honest and transparent and timely to what we're facing. This is how you survive. You keep communion. You sing. You sing a new song. But notice what also the elders represent in the mature, representing those that keep in the midst of what they're going through. Him who's in the midst of the throne, Jesus. They also valued spiritual unity. In verse 9 and 2, they're singing, and they're singing a new song. And what are they proclaiming? What are they declaring? That you, Lord, have redeemed us by your blood. It's not just, Lord, you've redeemed me, but, Lord, you've redeemed us. That they still value spiritual unity. They still keep the understanding that I'm a part of something that's bigger than me, that's bigger than my current sufferings, that's bigger than currently what I'm in the midst of. That, Lord, you have redeemed us, your people, your body. Then he says, every tribe, tongue, nation, people, you've made us, they sing. See, only valuing spiritual unity can lead to practicing practical unity. Can I just say in what we face as a nation and to brothers and sisters and things that I've observed and watched and prayerfully considered in my communion with the Lord, that what concerns me is People are focusing on practical unity, believers I'm talking about, and yet they have no first foundation and declaration of the spiritual unity we first have. I can put a political statement, I can put my opinion about what's taking place and about racism and get 30 likes and 40 likes, but let me put the foundation of Paul's teaching about unity and spiritual unity and recognizing no one first according to the flesh and you get about two likes. See, maturity is in the midst of what we're going through, still valuing our spiritual unity. Jesus has redeemed us. We're a different kind of people. We're the people of God, redeemed. We sing another, a different song. We have a different herald. And it is even in the midst of our weeping, even in the midst of our injustice, there still is a lamb that has prevailed. There is still a lamb that has overcome. Let me tell us today that faithful elders, faithful mature believers in the faith will encourage those who's in the midst of a, a, a suffering, in the midst of a season, in the midst of a difficulty. Here's what they will always encourage those who's in the midst of it. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves with other believers. It's amazing you see so many voices who are supposedly spiritual leaders and guides for our nation and for people. And you see them encouraging people in the midst of their questions, in the, in the midst of what they're going through, to come out of the church. 
Now, I'm not talking about if you're in a reprobate church that you shouldn't come out. Michelle and I were, of course, uh, away not too long ago, and part of the end of that trip was me being able to visit family and some family members that's in the midst of some difficulties. And we got out uh, one moment, and me and her, we went to this place that, that uh, is known for ice cream, and it, it makes the list of top places in America. And when we were in the midst of the neighborhood that this dessert place was at, I noticed, because it's a progressive um, part of town. And I noticed that the churches that were in the midst of the progressive part of town, Pastor Craig, they had rainbows on their signs. So we're such and such church and below it, a rainbow. Now I'm not talking about if you're in the midst of a reprobate church, in the midst of a church that's con conformed to the midst of erroneous teaching and ideas and values around you that you shouldn't get out. But that's not the case for us. And understand that faithful elders and mature believers around you is not going to tell you to leave based on what you're facing in the midst of it. They're going to tell you, keep assembling and fellowshipping with the believers. You know what else they're going to tell you? They're going to keep telling you to sing. They're going to keep telling you he's still worthy. They're going to keep telling you lift your hands and surrender. They're going to keep telling you to get your eyes on Jesus who's worthy and let the high praises of God be in your mouth. They're going to continue to tell you that in everything rejoice in all circumstances give him praise. They're going to continue to tell you don't let the devil and what you're in the midst of steal your praise. You know what else they're going to tell you? Sing a new song. Maybe this season's not just to calls you to experience a new thing, but maybe it's to get you a new place in your worship and your surrender and your proclamation of the goodness of God even in the midst of what you're facing. Faithful elders are going to say value unity. They're going to tell those around them, understand that there's no believer that doesn't suffer on the earth. That every believer, it's through much tribulation we enter and experience the kingdom of God. That all of us in Christ, in the midst of it, have issues and seasons we face. But don't eat the bait of Satan. Don't eat the bait of bitterness and strife and anger and unforgiveness and hatred. Value unity because if the devil can take what you're going through and in the midst of it get you in isolation and get you no longer hearing the roar of the line of the tribe of Judah and no longer rooting your issues in the root of the root of David, he can isolate you and he can destroy you. That's why Peter said he walks to and fro upon the earth looking to whom he can devour. He can't devour every believer, but if he can get a believer in the wrong place focusing on the wrong things listening to the wrong voice then he can begin to steal, kill and destroy then we come into chapter 6 after looking at who's worthy we begin to ask the question not only is who's worthy but who's worthy to open it you can frame chapter 6 with this phrase he opened and I heard John continues to see now the Lamb, Jesus, who alone is worthy. He begins to see that he alone is worthy to open it, to open the seals. And every time he who alone is worthy opened the seal, John heard in verse 1 of chapter 6. Look at it. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, he went out conquering and to conquer. 
Here we read the first seal of the conqueror. It continues on there in Revelation 6. You read the second seal where there's conflict on the earth. He opens the third seal and there's scarcity on earth. He opens the fourth seal. There's widespread death on earth. He opens the fifth seal and you hear and see the cry of the martyrs. And then he opens the sixth seal where there's cosmic disturbances. This all takes place in chapter 6. Now let me say that these six seals in chapter 6 of Revelation coincide with what the Lord said to his apostles days before his suffering in Matthew 24. Let me show you this. The first seal we see here in Revelation 6 is the conqueror who goes out and conquers. In Matthew 24, 4 and 5, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying I am the Christ and will deceive many. Talking about the Antichrist. Here when you see this first seal and one riding on the white horse conquering, it is the Antichrist spirit. Jesus didn't come in a spirit that conquered. Do you remember? When the disciples said, they didn't receive you, Lord, shall we call down fire out of heaven? And he said, you know not what spirit you are. Listen, people that seek to conquer in the name of Christ is operating in the wrong spirit. Jesus came and he opened not his mouth in the streets. He came as a lamb going to the slaughter. He came in humility riding on the coat of a donkey. But he warns them, this Antichrist, then in second, the second seal, we see in Revelation 6, conflict on earth. Jesus continues in Matthew 24, 6 and 7. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Then in Revelation 6, the third seal, there's scarcity on earth. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 24 and verse 7 that coincides. And there will be famines pestilences and earthquakes in various places. In the fourth seal of Revelation 6, John sees widespread death on earth. Well, this is what Jesus told him in Matthew 24 and verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. What happens when people pass away? People have sorrow. People cry. These are the beginning of sorrows. In Revelation 6, John sees the fifth seal. He hears and sees the cry of the martyrs. Notice what Jesus says in Revelation 24, 9 and 10. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Being martyred. For Jesus' sake. The sixth seal. John sees in Revelation 6 cosmic disturbances. Jesus continues in Matthew 24 and verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. John, likewise, when the sixth seal is open, he says that the sun became black as sackcloth. Stars of heaven fell to the earth, in verse 13, as a fig tree drops its late figs. Jesus, continuing on in Matthew 24, tells about the parable of the fig tree. In Matthew 24, 32, he says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. You see the correlation. Now look at the common thread here. A common thread is he opened, I heard, 
he opened, I saw. The common thread in Revelation 6 is Jesus opened and John heard. Jesus opened and John saw. Look at this. In Revelation 6, 1, the lamb opened and I heard. Revelation 6, 3, he opened, I heard. Revelation 6, 5, he opened, I heard. In Revelation 6, 6, I heard a voice in the midst. In Revelation 6, 7, he opened, I heard. In Revelation 6, 9 and 10, he opened and I saw and I heard them crying. In Revelation 6, 12, he opened and I looked. What am I saying? What does this have application to us today? Is that Jesus in the midst of what you're facing, he opens up new places in your heart. He opens up new places in your life. He opens up new places in your mind. And when he opens up these new places, the question you must ask yourself is, what do you hear? Because when he opens, John heard. Why don't people move forward? Why don't people grow? Why don't people understand? Because what they're in need of is they're in need of Jesus to open. They're in need of Jesus to open their mind. They're in need of Jesus to open their heart again where it's been closed because they have been hurt or they have been rejected. They need Jesus to open up to them a new season. They need Jesus to open up to them a new door because the season's coming to a close. But when Jesus begins to use what you're in the midst of to open you up, you need to hear what he's saying. Blessed is he who hears and obeys what the Lord says. See, his word will bring clarity to what he has opened before you. His word will bring clarity of what he is wanting to do in this season. Be reminded of what Ecclesiastes 3 says, that there is a purpose for every season under heaven. And sometimes, oftentimes, Jesus used what you're in the midst of to open new places of your life that you've closed off. You've closed off to the work of His Spirit. You've closed off for others to have access and to know about those places in your life. You've closed off about giving the Lord freedom to move in those areas. And Jesus wants to take what you're in the midst of and open up those places to Him so you can hear His Word. Hear Him. What is He saying to you about what He's opened up to you? Maybe he's opened up a can that you closed long ago. Maybe he's opened up a wound that you've tried to hide long ago. Maybe he's opened up questions and things of the past that have been buried. When he opens, though, you're to hear. To hear what he's saying. And then your response of faith to what he's declared will allow the Holy Spirit to perform it. It will allow you only then and only then to move forward into the next thing he has for you. God's got great things that he has planned to do in you and through you, but you'll never get there when you're in the midst of it. It opens up new places in your life, and then you close your ears to what he's trying to teach you, what he's trying to do in you, what he's trying to speak into your ears. He opens and we hear. He opens and we hear. Our response is to be faith, even in the midst of what come to the surface as he sits as a refiner's fire, purifying the sons of Levi. That we are to respond in faith to what he's declared, to what he's saying. Then you come into chapter 7. Jesus is still opening, and you can frame chapter 7 that he opened and I saw. Jesus is still opening seals, and as he opens something, then John begins to see what does he see? In the beginning of chapter 7, he sees that the 144,000 of Israel is being sealed. 
12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, these are Jews, are sealed. He then continues to see in verse 9, he sees a great multitude in heaven. They've been washed by the blood of the Lamb and they're those who have came out of the great tribulation. Notice, as Jesus is opening, John begins to see. I don't know what God is opening in your life. I don't know what wounds. I don't know what doubt. I don't know what things it's opening. But when he opens, you are to see. You are to see his perception. You are to see him who is worthy. You are to see that in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of what you've been through, that he is still worthy, that he has still prevailed. He opens things in our life, but he wants us to see. As the psalmist said, in his light, I see light. So how do you survive what you're in the midst of? It starts with seeing other sealed believers. Other believers that are sealed in the blood by the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. See that you're not alone. See that you're not the only one going through what you're going through and what you're in the midst of. You got to look around you and see that you're a part of what God is doing, not just here locally, but globally. You're a part of the body of Christ, the eternal purpose of God. You got to see other sealed believers but also listen you got to see that you're a sealed believer you got to remember what Jesus told the disciples don't rejoice in what your experience is outwardly but rejoice that your name's written in heaven you got to learn to rejoice in the midst of it that you are sealed you are blood washed and sealed by the Holy Spirit that you're a child of God and though these things happen to you and though these things come against you it still doesn't change the fact that you are sealed and redeemed and let the redeemed of the Lord say so then you got to see yourself coming out of what you're in the midst of. Notice he sees the great multitude who came out of the great tribulation. This is how we apply it in our life is you got to first see yourself coming out of what you're in the midst of. If all you do is see yourself continually in the midst of what you're in, you'll never experience being out of what you're in the midst of. If all you do is see yourself going around the same mountain season after the season, then you'll never be able to see yourself in the midst of God's promised land and high calling for you. you got to see yourself out before you experience being out. This is the spirit of faith we have. It's a spirit of faith. Substance. Despite of what we feel, despite of what we see, the just shall live by faith, not by feeling, not by what's going on in the midst of what's going on. But we have to first see ourselves out of what we're in the midst of. Then and only then can you experience it. It's through faith and patience you experience the promises of God. Can you in the midst of those feelings that says this is who you are, this is how you'll always be, can you in the midst of feeling that, hearing that, still see yourself out of it because Jesus Christ the Lamb is worthy and has prevailed? That is faith. Paul says don't look at the things that are seen, they're temporary, but learn to look at the things that are unseen, they're eternal. See them with the eye of faith this morning. This is how you move forward. This is how you come out of what you're in the midst of. And then we come into chapter 8 and verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. The first trumpet blows, and vegetation is struck. A third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass were burned up. Can I just say that that is the worst fear day of every HOA, Homeowners Association? 
I say, yes, Lord, avenge us, Lord. Blow that trumpet. <laughs> That's the worst fear day. All the grass is burned up. Trees don't meet the colds anymore. I mean, the HOA in that day, they are having a panic. The second trumpet blows. The seas are struck. Third of the sea becomes blood. Third of the living creatures in the sea die. Third of the ships destroyed. I remember when I was young and didn't know like about world trade and all that works. I thought, that's, I don't know if that's possible, Lord. I know you wrote the book, but third of the ships, I ain't seen no ships. I didn't know the amount of stuff that's still shipped all around the world. Commerce depends on shipping. And half the stuff I'm sitting on in my house was shipped across the seas from another country. Notice a third of the ships destroyed. Then the third trumpet blows. The waters are struck. A third of the waters become bitter. Fourth trumpet blows. The heavens are struck. A third of the sun is struck. A third of the moon is struck. A third of the stars are darkened. What do we see here in chapter 8? We can frame it. What we see is things being struck down. But we see the sealed not destroyed. We see things around the sealed being struck down, but the sealed are not destroyed. You know what also we learn from chapter 8? He as the creator is free to do with what he has created as he pleases, when he pleases, and for why he pleases. You know what this means for you and I today? It means for those of us who have confessed Jesus as our Lord, we have also, in that confession, confirmed that we are yours and you can do with us as you please. That our life is no longer our life because we have given our life to you. We have given it back to you to whom it came from. Is this not Paul's testimony in 2 Corinthians 4? That I'm hard-pressed yet not crushed? I'm perplexed, but not in despair. I'm facing things that's too difficult for me to understand. They're heavenly things. They're things that are, you know, incomprehensible to my natural understanding. It, only the wisdom of God understands why I'm in the midst of what I'm going through, why I'm in the midst of this trial and this season. And though yet I'm perplexed, I'm not in despair. Why? Because I'm maturing to learn to see that in the midst of the throne, there is a lamb as slain who has prevailed. And then he says this, persecuted, but not forsaken. And then he says, struck down, but not destroyed. What does this mean for you and I? It means Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. My life is no longer my life, and he can do with my life what he pleases because it's no longer my life when I confess him as Lord. And we have to, in the midst of what we're going through, say I might be struck down. God might be striking down things that's of the old creation, old habits, old mindsets. He might be striking them down in my life, but even in the midst of being struck down, I'm not destroyed because I'm sealed. And what, you know, the Lord's doing in my life is to benefit me. And godliness. Paul said it's godliness with contentment is the great value. You may be struck down by what you're facing, but we're not destroyed. 
Paul said that I'm embracing death. I'm embracing the reality, the application of what I confessed that day I got born again. That my life is no longer my life. I'm embracing and experiencing in the midst of what I'm going through. The dying of Jesus so that Christ can live in me. He starts off in 2 Corinthians 4 and says, yes, I'm an earthen vessel. Yes, I'm a vessel that's being struck down by age and struck down by the effects of sin upon this mortal body. But though my body is being struck down, there's still is a treasure in this earthen vessel his name is Jesus Christ and in the midst of what I'm going through is still the lamb on the inside of me who's worthy, who has prevailed and who will overcome even that which tries to strike me down we're struck down but not destroyed saints Job says though he slay me I will yet trust him Lord, you can send me where you want to send me. God, you can bless me beyond my my imagination. You can humble me beyond what I thought was even possible. Lord, you can put me in a a Jonah's, uh, like Jonah in a whale. You can do with me as you please. But my testimony and what we learn from here is though I may be struck down, I will not be destroyed. Because he has redeemed us. He has purchased us. He has washed us by His blood. He has sealed us by His Spirit. Though I'm in the midst of it, I will not be destroyed. But I shall again be with Him who's in the midst of heaven, who has prevailed. You come into chapter 9 and verse 1, then the fifth angel Sounded, and I saw a star falling from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit. And smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Notice that. It's the first time in the chapters we're looking at today where it's attached earthly time to now, when Pastor Craig last week, there was some earthly time attached to what he said in the midst of the churches. We'll see some earthly time attached to things that come uh, later in the book of Revelation. But this is the first earthly time that's attached, five months. Then it continues on. Saying, verse 13, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four Horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now watch this. It concludes in verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood which can neither see nor heal nor walk and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries, that's drugs, or their sexual immorality or their thefts. We can frame chapter 9 that keys are granted. He gives a key to an angel to go unlock a bottomless pit and to release things. But you know what keys also granted to us who are here today and to all humans upon the earth? It's called the key of repentance. 
the first elementary teaching of what it means to follow Jesus Christ and to be in a relationship with him. He's given us the key of repentance. But notice those in this that John sees who makes it to this point in the midst of all that's taking place in the midst of the seals and the trumpets. It says the rest of mankind didn't use the key and repent. It also highlights sins that will be prevailing on the earth in the last days. Demon worship, witchcraft, idolatry, murdering to survive, trying to escape what they're in the midst of, sorcery, which is drugs, sexual immorality, thieves, stealing. Can I tell you that though you're in the midst of it and maybe some new things have been opened, some places of, of where there was lack of understanding, some places of hurt, some places of your soul that you've tried to, to shut out to the Holy Spirit who's Lord and redeemed those and now He's opening them and He's speaking and now He's opening them and you're seeing that Jesus has prevailed over those things that you don't need to turn to drugs and you don't need to turn to petty things and you don't need to turn to other things to escape what you're in the midst of. All you need to do is turn your head up and look to Him who shall return again who has prevailed to Jesus Christ and to repent of where in the past we turn to the flesh that leads to death but now we're turning to the spirit which leads to freedom use the key of repentance you know I don't think there has ever been or will ever be and it's in the midst of it moment in life where he opens up something new that there is nothing new for me to repent of I'm going to say it again I don't think there has ever been or will ever be an in the midst of it moment in life where when he opens up something new, there is nothing new for me to repent of. Every time he opens something new in my life, I see where I've not yet learned to trust in his substance, to trust in his sufficiency. Yes, I used to trust in the substance of marijuana, in the substance of alcohol, in the substance of escaping through stealing and sexual immorality. But now I'm learning to trust in the substance of the lamb as slain, to eat in communion with him, that he alone can nourish me. He alone can make me whole. He alone has redeemed me and purchased me. And he alone can do with my life what he wants to do it's no longer my life but he died and rose again that those who live would live no longer for themselves but him who died and rose again that my life would be like a stone where he can sling me where he wants to sling me he can bring me to my knees how he wants to bring me he can elevate me how he wants to elevate me but in the end he alone is worthy in the midst of all my it in the midst of it all is worthy and may our life as mature believers beginning to proclaim that he alone is worthy. He alone can open your heart. Maybe some of you have codependency and you're looking to people around you to open up places, open up doors to do a work in you and you need to hear today that only he is worthy to open it. Only he is worthy to do it. Only he is worthy to bring clarity and healing and peace. Only he is worthy. So in the midst of it, who do you say is worthy today? Right in the midst of it. 
Are you still trying to hold on, still trying to prove that you're worthy, that you're able to prevail, that you're able to get out of it, that you're able to understand it, that you're able to change it? Or will you just fall down like the elders and begin to allow the maturity of Christ to be formed in you and say, Lord, you alone are worthy, even in the midst of it. That I forsake the wisdom of this world and I embrace the wisdom of God, that through cross and death and resurrection, is your wisdom and your power. Because you humbled yourself, Lord Jesus, and became obedient unto death, therefore God has highly exalted you and given you the name that's above every name. And may we, who's in the midst of some things, go ahead and declare that name, that that name is worthy, that that name alone is worthy of our allegiance, that that name alone is worthy of our life, that that name alone is worthy of our heart, that that name alone is worthy to open the places in our life, to open doors that no man can close, to open new seasons in our life, that he alone is open. He alone causes me to hear. He alone causes me to see. He alone is worthy. today keep communion with him perilous times we all shall face perilous times we'll all find ourselves in the midst of keep communion with him keep communion with those around you believers keep communion with the elders and leaders in your life sing unto the Lord don't get silent don't shut up sing unto the Lord sing a new song let it come out of your spirit begin to worship in spirit and truth value spiritual unity you're not alone don't, don't be isolated. Don't let the enemy entrap you. You might be being struck down, but you're not going to be destroyed because there's a treasure, Jesus Christ, on the inside of you. Maybe there's some today and there's things you need to repent of. There's things where you've put more faith in the old substance than the very substance of the Lamb who's in the midst of the throne. As we worship, let's take this time. Let's begin to sing. Let's begin to commune. Let's begin to sing a new song. Let's begin to repent. Let's begin to say you. Again, thanks so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. God bless you.